0: Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools and data that helps power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is a discussion with Alexa Lyon, senior analyst for FSG's Sub-Saharan Africa practice, about her recent report on Angola a country that is currently facing many economic challenges. My name is Anna Rosenberg, and I'm the head of the Sub-Saharan Africa Research Practice here at FSG. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Alexa, thank you for joining us today. I'd like to kick off this podcast session by asking you to paint a general picture of Angola's business environment in the context of the country's troublesome past.
1: Thank you, Anna. It's a pleasure to be here. So, just painting a picture of Angola's economic environment and its operating environment. Angola is Sub-Saharan Africa's third largest economy, but despite that positive statistic, Angola is a very difficult place to do business, in no small part because of a three-decades-long civil war that began in 1975 and ended in 2002. So just over 10 years ago. And the Civil War was at times a proxy war during the Cold War, and it produced the political makeup that we still see on the ground to this day, where you have one party, the incumbent MPLA that's led by the current presidents, José Eduardo dos Santos, and the opposition UNITA. But beyond influencing today's political class, the war devastated the countryside, it devastated infrastructure, and it led the middle class to flee abroad, and it also dented demographics in a way that there are few older and middle-aged people that are left in the country. So as a result, it's a very youthful country, and that translates into operational difficulties around the infrastructure, but also around the policymaking, because of inexperienced policymakers and a short-term mentality that really emerged from that war. That being said, since the end of the war in 2002, the country has registered very strong growth and rapid improvements in the business environment, so it's really evolving since 2002. That and Angolans also rank as the happiest people in Sub-Saharan Africa. That's, that's very very
0: good to know actually for our clients especially those uh, selling into the entertainment industry and <laughs> um, but Alexa despite the difficulties that you just outlined Angola is one of the most important markets for our clients today in, in fact we are just upgrading it uh, in a variety of our research research reports to be a tier one market alongside Nigeria Kenya and South Africa so for the benefit of our listeners please
1: explain What transformed Angola into such a large economy today? Sure. So if I were to boil down the one element that transformed Angola from a war-torn economy to a massive opportunity for clients, it would have to do with oil. It's the second largest oil producer in sub-Saharan Africa. And when oil produ- oil prices were quite high, this boosted government revenues. It boosted government coffers and translated itself into big, big spending, as well as opportunities for multinationals selling to the governments. On top of that, oil revenues and oil extraction created a sizable elite and an expatriate community, particularly in Luanda. Today, oil accounts for about half of... Angola's GDP, about 80% of government revenues, and 95% of exports, and that's a figure that hasn't really changed very much in recent years. So the economy is not very diversified, and as a commodity country, it's exposed to external shocks, but oil has had the benefit of really driving government spending and allowing an elite and a middle class and an expatriate community to emerge.
0: So, Alexa, while I understand that government revenues depend largely on oil, and we're going to talk about the oil price in a moment, a lot of our clients from across different sectors have been focusing on Angola. So the economy is not only driven by oil. Can you please explain a bit what the main sectors of the economy are outside the commodity space?
1: Absolutely. It, it, it is indeed correct that oil is not the only opportunity in Angola, even if it's a big economic driver. So some of the other sectors that have been receiving a lot of investor and multinational attention are in construction, infrastructure, real estate especially since the government has had the resources to really pour money into infrastructure development. On top of that, we're also seeing retail expansion. We're seeing new malls cropping up as well, which is really a reflection of a consumer class that's emerged. And we're seeing consumer goods companies enter and expand in Angola as well. And finally, agriculture is a very, very important sector in Angola. It's the largest employer. And so for economic growth to really take off, there needs to be investment in the agriculture sector. So to your point, oil is not the only opportunity on the ground. There's opportunities in retail, in infrastructure, construction, and in consumer-facing opportunities.
0: Okay, so the economy is increasingly diversifying as well. That's very interesting. Let's talk about Angola's reaction to low oil prices now. How has the country fared since the oil price? started to decline um, about June in 2014.
1: That's a great question, because even if the country is diversifying, to your point, it's not diversified yet. We've seen very little changes in economic structure in the past five years. So as you can imagine, since oil does account for 40% of the GDP of the country, Angola is very exposed to those low oil prices. So as a result of low oil prices, we're seeing the Kwanzaa depreciate quite dramatically, which fuels high inflation a lot of public spending cuts, and muted demand across sectors. So let me just go a little bit in depth about each of these things. So as far as the budget cuts, the government cut the budget by 25% this year, and it still needs to compensate for revenue shortfall. So it's actively trying to borrow on international markets to maintain even the lower budget that it just passed. On top of that, you have foreign exchange shortages that are affecting companies across the board. Low oil prices mean that there's less dollars coming into the country, and on top of that you have past policies that were passed in 2013 that really emphasized the de-dollarization of the economy. So in essence, oil operators had to convert all of their profits into Kwanzaa's, and that measure is backfiring against the economy today, on top of the fact that there's just low oil prices and less dollars flowing into the market. So as a result of these foreign exchange shortages, companies are faced with higher costs in repatriating profits, distributors have less access to foreign exchange, which leads to delayed payments, and banks are also rising borrowing costs. For consumers, on the other hand, that means less demand. Almost everything is imported in Angola, and so with such currency depreciation, we're seeing far less demand. So just to put some numbers around this, Portugal, which is the largest trading partner or one of the largest trading partners of angola its exports to angola declined 41.3 percent quarter on quarter between q4 of 2014 and q1 of 2015 so it's a tough situation but it's also representative of a new normal as well this is something that companies and businesses need to adjust to and also where opportunities can even emerge
0: Yes, uh, so it's indeed a new normal that a lot of commodity exporters, I think within but also outside Africa, are exposed to, especially because we don't expect the oil price to rise significantly in the next uh, two to three years or even beyond that. So what has your research found about the effect of low oil prices on the Angolan economy in the long term?
1: So over the long term, Multinationals should brace for lower levels of government spending than historical averages. And the sectors that will be reprioritized are construction and power projects. We're also seeing shifting consumer preferences on the ground. So consumers are still spending. They will continue to push for more formal retail, but they will also opt for the more affordable option on those shelves. So the days of carefree spending are over. Instead of demand for Lamborghinis, we might see a shift for more average options, such as a Ford, just to kind of put it in comparison. Toyota, probably. Yeah, or it might be a Toyota. But what's very important as well is that companies are capitalizing on this shift in consumption patterns by investing in local production and in packaging to cut costs. One great example is Bella Beer, which is a new brand that was founded by the China Investment Fund. And it's now on sale in major supermarkets. We're also seeing another a super, local supermarket called Caro that is expanding and a clothing chain called Brazooka that is expanding rapidly. So consumer brands are seizing the opportunity through local production. They're expanding and they're keeping a long term view on the Angolan middle class, which is absolutely necessary to succeed in this kind of market.
0: Yeah, so the country remains a a long-term opportunity despite going through some challenges. But tell me, is the government in fact supporting this push towards localization?
1: Yes. So there used to be a lot of talk by the government to diversify the economy, especially after the 2009 oil price decline. But the thing is, price rebounded shortly thereafter, shortly after that decline in 2009. And very few policies were in practice passed to encourage investment in non-oil and gas sectors. This has changed. Now that oil prices are low, the government has a newfound urgency to promote foreign investment because these oil prices have not rebounded yet. And so we're seeing policy and tax reforms. We're seeing the devolution of power from the National Investment Agency, which is called ANIP, to ministries, We're seeing the loosening of minimum investment amounts. We're seeing a reduction of corporate tax rates. We're seeing the transformation of the labor law into one that is more employer-friendly, as well as a simplification of the process to set up a company on the ground. So companies are now benefiting from faster timelines for project approvals. They have greater bargaining power, provided they access the right minister or the right point person. And there's just generally more expedience around investments that are not in oil and gas
0: well that's uh, indeed good to hear I know that this is a major pain point has been in the past at least for a lot of our clients to um, basically set up a company and go through the entire bureaucracy so is it fair to say that the government is not adopting a protectionist stance towards business as we have seen in other markets for example in Nigeria we have seen uh, more import bans in certain products what's your view on that
1: So it's a nuanced view. So on the one hand, yes, the government wants to encourage as much foreign investment in as many diverse sectors as possible, as it realizes that diversifying the economy is key to avoiding future shocks. So it remains open to business. It's passing these policy changes that reflect that openness but at the same time, we are seeing erratic policies. It did introduce an import ban, as like Nigeria, but then repealed it. So companies need to brace for some erraticism around policies as governments figure out the, the perfect, if you will, response to this crisis brought about by low oil prices. Companies should also expect increased competition from Chinese companies, especially in public construction companies, as the Chinese government is awarding a lot of financing to Angola to compensate for that revenue shornfall in exchange, in a sense, for preferential treatment on the ground. There will be more competition, but there will be an openness towards investment on the part of the government, but there will also be uncertainty around policies. So it sounds like business is not at a standstill despite the low price effect
0: on the economy. And uh, tell me, beyond the low oil price and, and the policy reform we've been talking about, what should companies monitor in Angola today that is going to affect their operations in the next few months or years?
1: Companies should monitor the political situation. Imaginably, as the economy is in crisis with high inflation, currency depreciation, Customers are really feeling the pinch, and this can produce social tensions. On top of the fact that the government is facing elections in 2017, and it will do all it can to appease any tensions, so whether by discouraging protests or spending on populist items such as housing. The elections themselves are uncertain. There is a weak opposition, so the MPLA is likely to win regardless of who the successor might be. But there still is going to be erratic policies, ministerial reshuffles, and greater room for social discontent. So the political situation, the elections, and Angolan responses to the economic crisis are all elements that companies need to monitor as they consider their targets and consider their operations.
0: So it sounds like Angola is at a crossroad right now, prompted by the lower oil price, but also because of the political change going on in the country. Um, These are, in fact... Maybe developments that cause a little bit of volatility, but if you look at the at the heart of it, it seems that those are positive developments for the country, especially as luxury spending patterns of the elite have not been very sustainable for the country. What is your view on 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 that? Do you think Angola has entered a new period, a new normal?
1: Yes, so this is a new normal for Angola. I think the positives that emerge are around shifting government attitudes towards investors that are not in oil and gas, as well as the rapid pace at which policies, which are crucial for an improving operating environment. However, there will be pain, I mean, the currency has depreciated, inflation is high, oil prices are expected to remain low for the next few years. So it is a new normal and there will be pain, but opportunities will emerge and incentives are being crafted by the government, so the response is there. And Angola remains a top market for multinationals. Few are halting investments because of the crisis, and they realize that entering today could actually benefit them in the future. Investing in Angola requires a long-term view, and especially patience around business hurdles.
0: And that is probably true for many countries on the continent. So, Alexa, thank you very much for this interesting discussion. As a reminder, you can speak to Alexa or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling time via your FSG client relationship director. You can also access our Sub-Saharan Africa research archive and all of our content on Frontier View at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance in your emerging markets, especially those in Africa.